We're so honored that you joined us for this week's message here at Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Good morning, Hope Church. So good to be with you this morning. How many of you glad to be in church? Man, wasn't worship amazing? I just love worshiping Jesus. I'm so grateful that we serve a God that reigns. Amen? And we are in this message series called Sculpted and how God is making us into a masterpiece. We are this masterpiece in progress. God from the foundations of the earth knew you. He had a plan. He has a purpose for your life. In fact, I always say this, that you're here this morning not by accident, but on design. God has a plan and purpose even for you being here today. And in the big picture of things, God looked out. He knew, the Bible says that he knew you in your mother's womb. He counts every hair on your head. And that he had a plan and purpose for your life before you were even born. And now God is continuing to just reveal that plan and purpose to us one step at a time as we become more and more the people that God made us to be. Amen? And uh, uh, just so happy to be with you and dive into the Word this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to jump into Ephesians chapter 3. Each week we've been going through a, book, a chapter in Ephesians, this whole message series called Sculpted. Really, um, Ephesians is such a, a, a masterful, uh, no pun intended, a masterful uh, layout of theology. And the first, just to give you a picture of how this is laid, there's six chapters in Ephesians. And as we've been going through Ephesians, each of these first three chapters, and today we're going to kind of conclude the first part of this book um, that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, on the first three chapters are really founded on who we are in Christ, who God made you to be, some uh, foundational principles about the sovereignty of God, and in chapter one, that God is in control. Aren't you grateful that God is in control? When you go through a year like 2020, that we don't have to be shaken, that we can put our hope and trust in Jesus because my God is in control. No matter what it feels like, no matter what the news tells you, CNN ain't got nothing on this book right here. This is my foundation. This is where I put my hope. This is where I'm anchored in my faith. And I don't have to be shaken no matter what's happening. And last week I brought you a message um, called Masterpiece in the Making. And we dove into Ephesians chapter 2.10 where it says that God, uh, you are God's masterpiece. And, uh, and for most of us, that doesn't sit well with us because when we look at our life, we don't, we don't see as much God at work and we don't see ourselves stepping into the fullness of all God made us to be. And we have to recognize that this is a part of the process as we allow more of the life and the grace and as we're going to see today, the love of God go deep within us. That that life within us is what slowly over time as we walk with Jesus and pursue him changes us one step at a time, little by little, through this thing called faith. Amen? And so we're going to dive into the Word. I'm going to um, open my Bible to Ephesians chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you can read along with us. If not, we are going to have it up on the screen so you could follow along. Um, I got to tell you, somebody who loves the Word of God, it's been challenging to pick out just the right portion of Scripture to share with you. Um, I could easily just read you this whole chapter um, but I believe after just marinating in this chapter, there's one section that Paul just kind of puts an end cap on these first three chapters that I think 
is absolutely paramount that we understand the depth of what Paul is not just saying in the word, but his prayer for the church, which isn't just a prayer for the church in Ephesus a uh, long time ago, but it's, I believe, a prayer for us as the church today. Amen? And so we're going to read it. I'm going to read it to you, Ephesians chapter 3, starting in, I'm going to actually begin in verse 14. It's going to pick up in 15 on the screen. This whole title, now Paul is capping this off, says a prayer for the Ephesians. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That's that beautiful name we were singing about this morning, the, the name of Jesus. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power throughout his spirit in your inner being. Anybody need some strength this morning? Isn't it good to know that there's strength available to us in our inner spirit, in our inner being? Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, see a theme here, together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ, four dimensions. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask, imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that good to know? That there is this immeasurable, that our God is able to do immeasurably more. Man, we put so many limits so many measurements on what God can and can't do in our life. In fact, how many times do we even step in through these doors of the church and we already think we know what God is going to do and we um, inadvertently limit how God can move in our life because we don't come with the right expectation. That's why I love this church. I love it when people come hungry, expecting God to move. See, that's one of the core values of this church is that we believe every time that we gather together like this, our God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask, think, or imagine. In other words, every time that you come to church, God's coming to blow your mind. <laughs> I love that about our God. All right, before I get too excited and start preaching to you, let's pray and just allow the Holy Spirit just to reveal what he wants to this morning. Amen. Father, we thank you for your presence here this morning. Oh, God, I'm so grateful for your presence. God, I'm so grateful for this power and this love that you give us that has no measurement. It has no end. It is absolutely mind-blowing. God, today, I pray, would you just blow our minds and more than our minds, would you blow up our soul with the love that you have for us, God? I pray for every single person in here, just like I prayed before service, over every chair, over every name, over 
every faceless person that would step in here today and those that are watching online, that we would have a fresh revelation of your love for us and a fresh encounter of your love for us that will go deep in our spirit, that will change us forever, that we would not be the same people that we came in, that we would leave different, that we would leave changed, that we would leave with an absolute comprehension and conviction of the love, the depth of the love that you have for us, God. And God, I can't do that. I'm just a man up here trying to speak. And I give you this service. I give you this microphone. I give you my mouth. I said, will you anoint it? Will you speak through me? Holy Spirit, we give you this time. Do what you want to do and what you can only do in Jesus' name. Now, church, would you do me a favor? I I had a conviction as your pastor that uh, we need to, as the church, pray more for our nation. And I believe that's something that not only pastors do, that we do together. So I just want to take one minute. And would you pray for our nation with me? Man, does it ever need it. Amen? Man, God, I pray that you would unify this country under the banner of Jesus Christ. Lord God, you are Lord over the United States of America. And I still believe in this great nation that was founded on godly principles, was founded on you, was founded in faith in you. That's the bedrock of this nation, God. I pray that you bring us back to the foundation. Today, we're talking about being rooted and grounded. God, this nation is rooted and grounded in you. And God, I pray that you would forgive us. We stand in the gap right now as the church. And we say, forgive us for turning from you. We repent. And we say, God, forgive us and heal our land once again. God, sweep over this nation. Heal it. Revive it. Breathe on it. Make it come to life. God, I pray that we begin in the church. Let revival come from the four corners of this nation. God, let the wind of your Holy Spirit blow over this nation. Revive us once again. Why not us? Why not here? Why not now? God, you can do it. You can do all things we just read. You can do. You are able to do immeasurably more than we could think or ask. So, Father, we pray for President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. God, we pray that if they do not know you, that they would come to saving grace and faith in you. And God, that you would surround them with godly women, that would surround them and give them counsel to lead our country back to you in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Mm -mm, That was good, wasn't it? It's good. (laughs) Well, the title of my message to you this morning is the power of love. The power of love. The power of love. It's a curious thing. Makes one man weep and another man sing. Turn a hawk to a little white dove. It's more than a feeling. That's the power of love. Come on, the great theologian Huey Lewis in the news. I think he lives somewhere in Montana, doesn't he? We need to get him to church because he doesn't realize it. But actually, he was preaching. I believe that what Paul is trying to tell us through this passage is that love is the most powerful thing on the planet. It is the most absolutely powerful force in the world. And and I got to tell you something this morning, that that power is inside of you. If Christ is in you, and, and Paul is trying to tell us, man, I almost knocked this thing over about five times last service. It's bound to happen, Pastor Josh. I just hope I don't kill my computer. I'm telling you, Paul is trying to say that that this power, it dwells within you. It's in you. If Christ is in you, we've got this hope of glory. And that hope of glory is the love of Jesus Christ. It is the most powerful force in the world. 
absolutely powerful. It is this wellspring of life that grounds us, that, that, that when we are rooted in love, that it has everything that we need for life. All the nutrients of life, the water, the food, everything to feed me spiritually and to keep me grounded through everything in life. And I, I don't know about you, but last year was an absolute test. And if you look at statistics of where things are in the world right now, people are shaken. They're anything but grounded. They're anything but rooted. Anxiety uh, statistics are through the roof. Sleepless people are popping pills. And, and, and if you're here and that's you and, and you need to do that for a season, man, you know, there's sometimes that we need help. But don't stay there. There is something better that can root you and ground you and keep you so in the life and the love of God that it empowers you. Love is, is the most powerful force. I, I, I remember when I met my wife in college. And uh, I remember the first time that I studied with her during finals week. And we went and we hung out in a little student center. And I sat across from her and, and I felt this power welling up in me, you know. I don't know if it was power or hormones, a 21-year-old ready to get married, find his wife and the love of his life. But I remember thinking, mm, yeah, she's for me. And, uh, and we studied all night. I don't remember how much studying we got done, but there was a point in the night where we went through a, uh, for a walk around campus and, and we started talking and sharing a little bit deeper. You know, you, you could get to know some people on the surface level. And that's one thing. Hello, God's calling. <laughs> Somebody needs to wake up and answer. <laughs> you could get to know, please, for the love of God, answer it. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, they're like, somebody's phone is going off. <laughs> you could get to know people on a surface level, right? Like we could even come to church and we, we could get to know each other and, and we know about each other. And, but when we went on that walk and she started sharing with me about her past and opening up and I started opening up and sharing with her, there was something that connected us. There was a depth there that, that I, I connected with her and her experience growing up, a divorced home, and some of the things that she went through. And, and there was this bond, there was this connection, there was a depth of relationship that began, so much so that, that we ended up going to Perkins after that and stayed up all night. Literally, we, I did not sleep that night, and I like to sleep. And, um, and we went to Perkins and got us some pancakes, and, and I'll never forget that, uh, yeah, the Grand Slam. <laughs> and uh, it was a Grand Slam, all right. I hit a home run. She's a home run, all right. And, um, and so I remember there was a point in the evening, it was like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I don't know if it was lack of sleep or what, but it felt like it was an hour where we were talking, and we just stopped, and we stared at each other. And I stared into her eyes, and it, and it was like I could see into her heart. And, and I started welling up in tears because in that moment, and I know this isn't the case for everybody, um, especially my kids that are in the audience, I, I knew, <laughs> I knew in that moment, this is the woman I'm going to marry. And I just knew it in the depth of my spirit. I knew this was the moment. We stayed up the rest of the night. Son was coming up, walking her back to her dorm. And, um, and from that moment on, man, I would do anything to be with her. I, I would spend as much money as I needed to. I mean, I remember that summer, finals ended that week, and we were apart, and it was like killing me, man. I remember spending hours on the phone, and I don't mean a cell phone. I remember the kind, you know, that actually had a wire, and, 
And then your mom would be like, what's this bill for $10? One phone call? Five hours you were on the phone? What are you doing for five hours? I'm in love. That's the power of love. And I remember like making plans, flying all the way to, to Florida and spending time with her. I'd do anything. And then as you get married and you go through life and you have kids and you got jobs and you got bills and you got responsibilities and you got life and all of a sudden all these different things, it, it, can, it can start to take away. And if you're not careful, your love can, can diminish. And, and as you get into marriage, you start to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And, and the shine wears off a little bit. Some of you are coughing, but oh, it's getting real. And, and we start to see the flaws, the weaknesses in each other. And if we're not careful, we could start to, to focus on those things. And we could lose sight of the beautiful person that we fell in love with and the depth of the love. And we can grow apathetic in our relationship. And we could fail to appreciate the love that we had at first. And you got to learn to continually be intentional about fostering that love. I think that's partly what Paul is trying to do before he gets into how we walk out the Christian life practically and, and, and that God created you to do good works, that you're a masterpiece. And before Paul starts to, to encourage us with how we live the Christian life, how we do it, he wants to remind us and he wants to pray for us. And, and, and I want to pray for us this morning that, that everything we do is rooted and grounded out of the depth of the love that God has for you and the, the depth of the love that God has for me. And so there's a danger that the longer we serve Christ and the longer we're in the church of, of this doing for God without being in love with God. And we could start doing this and we could start singing words. And even Jesus said, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And, and this can become mechanical and it can become something that, that we do instead of something that we are and that we're being in love with God, that Christ is in me and he loves me and he's poured out his love in me. And, and we don't even love God before he loves us. My Bible says we love God because he loved us first and that while we were still sinners, wrap that around your head. While we were still far away rejecting God, doing our own thing, sinning, that God still chose to love us and to die for us. Whether we ever accept him in our whole life, and there's some of you watching and some of you here right now, that that's the decision that you need to make today. Am I gonna accept that Jesus died on the cross because he loved me so much. Am I going to continue to reject him and to push him away? You see, Paul knew something about the church in Ephesus. I, I think the Spirit revealed to him. See, because what happened in Ephesus was God started moving powerfully. The church was birthed and God was doing miracles, signs and wonders. God's love was being poured out into people's hearts. And they were passionate. These were passionate people. They were so passionate that they had... They had bought into this, just like I believe that we can buy into in our culture today, this cheap version of love. Because in their culture, they worship the goddess of Artemis. She was the love goddess, the goddess of fertility. And, and there was this huge temple enshrined so that they could go and worship at that temple. It was a temple of prostitution, and people paid to get love. It was a cheap love. And so in their mind, the way, the way that I get love is, is I pay for it. 
And I believe that if we're not careful, we could fall into that same trap thinking that, that I gotta earn love. That, that in our culture, that love is reciprocal, it's conditional, that you do for me and I'll do for you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. You love me and I'll love you. And, and this love that Paul is talking about is the exact opposite. This is, this is agape love. This is like, I'm gonna love you whether you ever show me any love or not because I choose to love you. I've always chosen, I continually choose to love you, whether you reciprocate it or not, whether you behave and you, whether you follow me, whether you, uh, whether you sin, whether you don't, no matter what, to the height, to the depth, to the, to the width, to the breadth, it doesn't matter. You gotta understand that God's love for you, the depth of his love for you, and they were in danger of buying into this cheap version of love. You and I are in danger of buying into the same cheap version of love. Man, we say, man, I love this, I love that, I love pistachio ice cream, I love my chap, strawberry chapstick, I love my Nike shoes, I love my jeans, I love my wife, I love my dog, I love my camper, I love hunting. We, we, we group everything into this thing called love, and I'm afraid that we have cheapened love. God's love is anything but cheap. He gave his one and only son as a demonstration, it says in Romans. You know, it's one thing for somebody to tell you I love you. We, we're so bad about that in the church. Oh, hey, brother, love you, man. <laughs> oh, bless your heart, I love you. And, and we say we love each other, and we walk out the door, and we never demonstrate it. There can't be a proclamation without a demonstration. You could tell me all day long I love you, but if I never experience a demonstration of what that love, the depth of that love, what it, what it is. And the church in Ephesus, they started out hot. They were passionate people. They were blazing for God. But there's a danger that Paul knew that over time that they could lose that. In fact, in Revelation chapter 2, John would say prophetically to the church in Ephesus, oh, you're doing some good things. I know your deeds, they're good. I'm proud of you for that. But then he says this, yet I hold this one thing against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. And then he says this, consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Remember those things? Remember when you first fell in love with Jesus? How man, every time the doors of that church were open, you were there? And how you, you got in your Bible and you read it. And, and man, I remember after I, I, I fell in love with Jesus that it was like midnight and I would be up sitting literally because I was in this one bedroom apartment with my aunt and I didn't want to keep her awake. So I would go into the bathroom and close the door and I would sit on top of the john. <laughs> you know, like that ancient Chinese proverb, man who sits on top of pot. <laughs> I just blew it. Man who sits on top of toilet, high on pot. I would sit on top of the toilet and I would read my Bible and I couldn't get enough of it I couldn't get enough of, of knowing man this book is the greatest love story in the world Elizabeth Barrett Browning has got nothing on this. How do you love the, let me count the ways. You want to count the ways? I could tell you verse four, verse three. I mean, there are so many ways that I could count the love of God to me. And then when I get in the word, 
that it reminds me that God is so passionately in love with me. You know that they call the week the, uh, leading up to um, Jesus being crucified on the cross, the, you know what they call it? Passion week. I always thought that was weird. Why would you call somebody going to die passion week? You know why? Because what drove him to the cross was his passionate, burning love for you and for me. It was out of that passion. I think that, you know, Paul talks about power and he talks about love. And that love is what actually gives us the power. We want power to do what God has called us to do, but we don't understand. Passion always precedes power. I need the passion of God. I need the love of God poured into me. And when I receive the love of God, it's what gives me the power to live every day for him and to choose not to sin and to step into the fullness of who God made me to be, into that masterpiece. It's what makes me. The love of God is what makes me. Not what I do. It's the love of God being poured out in me. Look at what the Amplified Version says. I love this. But I have this charge against you that you have left your first love. Listen to this. You have lost the depth of love that you first had for me. It's not that we don't love God at all, but there's a lack of depth to our love for God. Like, I think in America, in the Americanized, Western civilized church, the greatest danger that we have is a shallow Christianity. is a Christianity where we come to church and we say yes and amen and we praise and we throw up a few prayers, we give a few bucks and we walk out the door and we live life how we want to live life. Completely unsubmitted, completely in our own will, inviting Jesus to follow us instead of following him. And living out of this shallowness of depth of the love of God and we wonder why we're so emotionally broken. Because we've never allowed the depth of God to go in us. Um, it was interesting. I was reading about uh, a seminary teacher who asked their class of 120 students, how many of you in this class um, have experienced and believed that God loves you? 120 seminary students. These are people who are going into the ministry now. How many of them you think said yes? Raise their hand. Out of 120, two. Two. And when the teacher asked them, why is it that only two of you? And they said, well, I know I'm supposed to believe that Jesus loves me because the Bible tells me so. But if I'm going to be honest, most days, I don't know that I really feel that God loves me. And I think that's the problem for most of us is that we can be in danger of living this surface level Christian life that barely brazes against the love of God and we don't really believe it, and because we don't believe it, it blocks the flow of God from being poured out into our life, which is the very power that we need to live this Christian life and become the people that God has called us to be and do what he's called us to do. I love Colin Smith is this um, uh, pastor in the UK, and he wrote an article in the Gospel Coalition, and he said this, we live in a been there, done that culture, and the great danger is in developing been there, done that form of Christianity. I know God loves me, that Jesus died for me, and that my sins are forgiven. So what's next? 
Then one day someone says, do you really believe that God loves you and your shallowness is exposed? And that's the problem that we are all in danger of. And so what I realized is, because I was actually trying to think, what is the opposite of love? And naturally our minds would go to, the opposite of love is hate, surely, right? But what I realized after reading my Bible from a Christian perspective, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. And so it's this form of Christianity where Jesus would later talk about in Revelation that we, what he would call lukewarm Christians. That we're neither hot nor cold, we're indifferent. And Jesus said, man, I, I wish you'd either, you would either be hot or you'd be cold, but you're neither, you're lukewarm. And because you're lukewarm, I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth. In other words, You've got no, because you haven't realized the depth of the love that I had for you. If you would just realize it, if you would, that word that Paul uses, comprehend, we might think that, that that's up here, and that's a part of it for sure, that we understand mentally um, that God loves us. But that word is so much more in the Greek. It, it has this idea of, of grasping. In fact, one of the translations use that grasping, that I take possession of it, that I make it my own, that I understand, that I don't just mentally understand that God loves me, but I grasp it to the point where it becomes part of me. I own it now. I don't just understand it here, that it goes deep enough into my spirit that it begins to root me and ground me. And so I don't have to waver every time I get a text message from a friend and I don't understand what they mean by that. And now I'm all flustered and upset and I don't, when my bank account low, when I lose my job, when I lose my, it, now I am rooted and grounded because I've allowed the depth of the love of God to go so deep within me. That is what brings me life, that every day that when I get up, the first thing on my mind is how much God loves me. Do you know, let, let me tell you this, I believe that there are things that the enemy of our soul, Josh was talking about it today, that he wants to interfere with you receiving the love that God has for you. In fact, there's a picture of this in Genesis chapter 26. Um, Back in that day, they were traveling nomads, and where you made camp was where there was water. Water was life. Like, you didn't live if you didn't have water. So they, they dwelt in places that had water, a well, where they could drill down and they could extract water out of the depth of a well that would give them uh, water so that they could live. And in, in Genesis chapter 26, Abraham had a well. The enemies of God, what they would do is they would come and they would, um, in the middle of the night, and they would raid, instead of attacking them, they didn't attack them, they attacked the well. And they would put rocks and dirt and, and like push all of the rocks, dirt, debris, down into the well to stop it up. So it would prevent them from going down into the well and getting that water that they need to live. I believe this is a, a perfect picture of what the enemy of your soul tries to do to you and to me. He tries to block the flow and put debris down, stop up that well in you so that you cannot tap, it, tap in to what Jesus described as that living water. 
In fact, there's one point at the end of a, of a festival, a religious festival, and everybody is, is doing religious stuff. But Jesus looks out and he recognizes that even though these people are doing religious stuff, that, that they're not tapping into the life that I have for him. And he says, it says he stands up on the last and greatest day of the feast. And he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. For out of him will flow rivers of living water. And Paul is saying that that river is inside you, is inside me. But we have to tap into it. But there's things that are blocking. And the first one that I believe that is the biggest blockage for you and for me is this, this overarching feeling that we don't measure up. We don't. We don't measure it up. How can God love me when I have so much brokenness, sin, dirt, debris, rocks in my life? See, Paul is saying that God's love is immeasurable. That, 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 that it is it's, you can't contain it. It's immeasurable. But what we love to measure things, don't we? We love to measure how much time we're going to come to church for. We like to measure how much we're going to give. We like to measure how much time is God's time and my time. We like to measure how much we're going to be involved in the church, how much we're going to give our heart to Jesus. We measure all these things. And God says, my love for you is immeasurable. And when you experience the depth of the love of God, then you are empowered to be free for that life to be able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. But we put limits on it because we got blockage. And the biggest blockage that the enemy uses is the Bible says that he's the accuser of the brethren. He's like that enemy, the Philistines, who come in, and as soon as, and man, this will be happening to some of you. Some of you, you gave your life on Easter, or you're experiencing God in new ways, and God's moving powerfully in your life. What happens? He rolls a stone. He, he says, hey, he gets all up in your business, and he reminds you, you know that sin that you keep doing? That trap that you keep falling into? You remember that, that how your father told you you'll never amount to anything? And he brings up the past and see the problem is we've all been hurt. We've all been wounded. We've had people that the way that we receive love is not, see Paul is giving a description that when he says that you being rooted and grounded in love may know the power, and then he says an important word, together. Wait a minute, I thought this was something I just experienced on my own. There is this aspect that we need each other to experience and encounter the depth of the love of God. It's the principle of the cross. That it has this vertical part to the cross that I need to receive the love of God personally. I need to experience it, not just know it, but I need to experience the depths of it. But I also don't just receive the love of God from him. I receive it horizontally. I, re I receive it as you love me, and you love me, and you love me, and you show me love. When I was down and I need somebody to talk to, and you were there for me, and you talked to me, and you reminded me that God loves me, that, that I experience love both ways. There's a, a story uh, during the Spanish Inquisition. Napoleon went into Spain, and he was going down into prisons making sure prisoners were either dead or alive and he went down into this prison cell that was in a cave 
down there and there's stalks and it's just bones. And what they noticed is on the rock wall by where the prisoner was, was chained, that somebody had, the prisoner had engraved a cross into the wall. And in Spanish words, they wrote on the top of the cross, the height. On one side, the breadth. On one side, the width. And on the bottom, the depth. And as they sat in that prison knowing that death was imminent, every single day they would stare at that cross and be reminded that God loves me. And even though I'm in these chains, it kind of reminds me of Paul. Paul was actually writing this letter to the church in Ephesus while he was in chains. He was chained, holed up in house arrest in Rome, chained 24-7 to a Roman guard. And while Paul could be bitter, and this is the problem with many of us, we don't understand, God surely couldn't love me. Why would he let me go through pain? Why would he let me go through suffering? Why did he let those, all those things happen to me? Why was I abused when I was seven years old? Why was I beaten? Why did this happen in my life? Why did I get divorced? Why did he let my business go? Why did my marriage crumble? Why did I lose my kid? And we look at all this and we say, surely a good God couldn't love me when he would allow me to go through the pain and suffering, yet Paul is suffering in a prison. And he is so rooted and so grounded and knows that God loves him so much that it doesn't shake him. I don't know about you, but I want that kind of life. I don't want to be shaken by stupid little things, and I don't want to be shaken by the highs and lows and everything that happens in my life. I want to be so rooted and grounded in the love of God that I know that he loves me. And see, Paul tried to settle this matter but we forget, and we could get into performance mode thinking that I need to do more for God. I need to pray more. Surely God can't love me because I'm not doing enough for God. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You have to remember in Ephesians 2, 4, what he said. He said, but he tells you what your old life used to be like and that we were dead in our sin and dead in our trespasses. And then there's the but God. I like big butts and I cannot lie. I think that's in the Bible. I love the big buts in Scripture, and here's a big one. But because of his great love for us, God who's rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ. Even when I was dead, even when I was no use to him, it reminds me of that thief on the cross who's absolutely no use to God. He was dead in his sin, dead in his transgression, would never be able to do one single thing good for God. It's by grace you've been saved. In verse 8, it says, that we can take credit for it's grace you would say through faith and it is not from yourselves it's not based on your performance it's not based on conditions it's not based on what you did yesterday what you did or didn't do for God it is a gift from God not by works so that no one can boast it's like God has a measurable amount of money that he's deposited into your account and you're still paying bills every day you feel the weight of, oh my gosh, I gotta pay, I gotta pay this bill, I gotta pay that bill. And God says, no man, you don't understand. I've given you a gift. I've written you a blank check. It's not measurable. It is unfathomable. You've got as much grace as you need. So how do we fix this? I think the problem is we're too self-focused. 
We're too occupied with our weakness, our sin, our brokenness. So we need to be occupied by Christ, not self. Stop looking at all your stuff. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. It isn't that God doesn't care. Oh, he cares. But when, when we are focused on it, we allow the enemy to block the flow of God, to almost put a lid on top of the well. And then we're not able to receive the love of God because we're beat down. I don't deserve, I'm not worthy. That's why I hate when people, I used to go to men's meetings and sit around, you know, coffee, and guys would just be like, yeah, I messed up again. Man, I'm, I'm a dirty, lousy sinner. I'll never be, I'm like, bro, just shut it. You're not, that's the problem. That's the way you see yourself. You're verbalizing and you're actually confirming what the enemy is telling you when you verbalize. And some of us, we got to watch our self-talk because we're condemning ourselves. Paul said, now therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. You're no longer a slave. You're a son. You're a daughter. God loves me. He gave his life for me. And when I look at that cross, it's a reminder. I remember um, just this past week, we had dinner with some close friends, and we were over their house, and we're sitting there talking, and they have this big, huge grandfather clock. And every 15 minutes, it would chime, but it, there was a depth to the sound that kind of drew me in. It wasn't like cheap ding, like when my phone gives me a reminder. It didn't sound cheap. It wasn't dingy. There was a depth. <laughs> there was a depth to the sound. Come on, keep it together, people. There was a depth to the sound that kind of drew me in. And so I asked the lady, I said, man, that's a beautiful clock. Where did you get that clock? She said, that is an heirloom in my family. My father gave that to my mother on their 33rd anniversary. And we had to take, take it all apart and, and put it back together and move it here. And I thought, wow, what an amazing anniversary gift. Not only the quality of the clock and how much value that thing, how much that, sh that must have cost, but here's the coolest part to me. I thought about every time that that woman heard that depth of that chime, it would be a reminder to her of the love that her husband had for her. What if we approach God that way? That every time throughout the day, every 15 minutes, when we look at that clock, we were reminded that of the cross of Christ and the passion that God had to pour out. He actually allowed his son to take on the sin of the world, to get um, wrongfully punished in our place, to die a brutal death on that cross because he was so passionately in love with you. And he did all that to free us from our brokenness and our sin, and yet we're still, man, I'm just a sinner. I'm just broken. And God says, man, you got to get, get out of yourself. Stop looking at yourself. Christ, atone for your sin. He says this, Hebrews 12, 2, looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on who? Not yourself, but Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity. For the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him, he endured the cross, disregarding the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and now we're seated with him in heavenly places. Is that amazing? The second thing is this, and I got to wrap this up, is we put God in a box. We, put, we measure 
how much we're going to allow God to be a part of our life. And in doing so, we actually put God in a box and say, so what happens is we come to church and say, God, this is your time. I remember a, a guy one time said, yeah, Sundays I go to church, I give God, and then the rest of the week is for work and for me. And this is the mentality that I think keeps us shallow because we only allow God into certain parts of our life and we keep him out of others. And so how it works is this is our church life, but then I go home and that's my family time or that's me time. And then I go to work on Monday and that's my work time. That's my career. I'm focused on my career. And I keep God and I keep his love from permeating every part of my life. Jesus didn't die to be a part of your life. He died for you to go all in with him and allow him into every area of your life. And this is why some of our relationships are broken. This is, this, this is why our, our, we're not stepping into the fullness of who God made us to be because we're stuck and the answer is actually if we would allow God into my job. Come to work with me, Jesus. Be a part of my work. Give me wisdom. Give me new ideas. Give me vision. Help me to, tell, help me to love the people around me at work. And, and when I'm at home, help me to love my wife and my kids with your love. God, I need your love. Come be a part of my family. We invite you in my family. And this is Look, look at what Brandon, Brandon Manning says. He says this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Amen, DC Talk. Some of you <laughs> generational people, you're like, DC Talk? Is that Washington somewhere? We need to invite Jesus into every area of our life. Not just our church life, every area of our life. The last one is this, is that we can hide from God behind the mask of religion. We can block the flow of God, his love coming into our life with the mask of religion. I like the way um, Peter Cazaro says it in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He says we can use God to run from God. And I've, I've met way too many, none of y'all, because y'all are wonderful, but I've, I've, I've met way too many Christians that they're so busy doing God activity that it becomes a cover-up from running from the very things, the depth of which God wants to go in you to heal you of your brokenness and your sin and your weakness and your failure, but because we can't face it and we're afraid to let other people see it. Yes. We block God from using other people that he strategically placed around you to speak into our lives and to be an agent of healing. And this is the beautiful thing about the church, and we're going to get into it more next week in chapter 4. But too many of us, we use spiritual activity and doing things for God instead of just being with God and being with other people and being real about it. We hide behind the mask of religiosity and never allow God to go to the depths. And so how do we break this? That's, it's rooted in pride. It's rooted, Pastor Joss talked to us about it last month, in spiritual pride. 
at the end of service, we're not willing to come up for prayer, even though we're sitting there and we're broken and we're hurting and we know we need God and we know we need him to go deep within us. And yet we're like, eh. There's that indifference. I don't, I don't care enough that I'm willing to take off the mask and, and let down my pride and humble myself and do this. Confess your sin and brokenness, your weakness and your failures. This is part of God's healing. This is how part of how God removes the blockage. Love can pass into you and get down deep into you. Look what James 5.16 says. He says, confess to one another. That's, that's the church. That's people. And that doesn't mean you just go and tell everybody your stuff. Find somebody you can trust. Find somebody who really loves you. Man, I wouldn't be where I am today, and I've got so much further to go, but I wouldn't even be where I am today if it wasn't for people surrounding me and loving me and loving me into the kingdom and giving me a place where I can confess my sin and my faults. Because it says this, confess therefore your faults, your slips, your false steps, your offenses, your sins, and pray for one another that you what? You may be healed and restored. What if part of your lack of experiencing the love of God is that you need to allow other people in your life to bring healing, to let God love you through them, to bring healing and restore your heart back to God, back to that first love. I am. Um, Paul gives us, he gives us a clue. I'm sorry, John does, actually. Because so many of us, we lose that love just like the church in Ephesus, we lose it. We're not as passionate about God anymore. And, and there's something that you have to understand, that as we give love to other people, that God pours his, more and more of his love into you to give it away. Watch this, John 15, 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Stay in it. Don't lose it. Let it burn within you. And he says this, if you keep, here's the, here's the key, if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And you're like, already, you're like, oh man, I gotta do everything that God says. I gotta make sure I'm doing it all. And, and then he goes on to say, I have told you this so that you may, that you, <laughs> I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. How many of you could use more joy? You get joy by being rooted and grounded in the love of God, knowing that God loves you. But this is the key if you're going to abide in it, if you're going to stay in it, if it's going to thrive in your life. This is the command, that you love each other as I have loved you. You've received my love, and now as you give that love away, I'm going to keep pouring more into you and more into you and more into you. No greater love has one than this. That one that lays down his life for his friends. And you know what? Y'all can dim the lights. The worship team can come up. I was reminded of this um, yesterday. Um, I went to a memorial service for a, a dear friend and uh, a lady who was beloved in this house. Her name was Mary Larson Corona. And um, she was a special woman. I don't know that I've met many people like Mary that lived with such passion. Passion for Jesus and passion for loving people 
And, and when we went to the memorial service yesterday, they gave you a gift box on each table, which I thought, that was strange, I've never seen that before, and yet so cool, that you go to a memorial and you're given a gift, and that was just like Mary, wasn't it? That she would want you to receive a gift at her memorial service. And I opened that box and they went through each item in the box and one of the items in that box was a rock and on the rock it says she loved. While we were there, people one by one would come up and share stories about how she gave life to everybody that she came in contact with how well she loved and how she sacrificed writing checks and giving her time. She lived her life loving people, being loved by Jesus, knowing that she was rooted and grounded. In fact, I remember texting her. She was in the hospital fighting COVID. And you know what she said in one of the texts? I went back and I was reading the text message. She said, God is not, in capital letters, N-O-T, God is not contained by this. In other words, there's no measure. There's no measure to the love of God. She knew it, and she lived her life without measure. She gave away love. I've never seen somebody love like that. And I want to keep this rock in my pocket. When I pass from this life to the next, I want people to say about, he loved. He loved. He loved. Because God loved him first. I can never live in love like that without grasping the love of God for myself, without experiencing it. And you can't either. You can't. You could hear somebody else talk about it. You could hear me talk about it. But until you grasp it, until it becomes part of who you are, until it becomes the well of life inside of you that dwells in you, that you tap into that well every day and you draw out of that well and you drink deeply of that well. It's the fourth dimension. When Peter denied Christ three times, he was in the courtyard and he was so afraid that he was going to lose his life that when they asked him, were you with Jesus? No, I wasn't. They asked him again, were you with Jesus? No. The third time, now I don't even know the man. And after he said that the third time, the rooster crowed and he looked at Jesus. And when he looked at Jesus, we think that Jesus looked at him with these eyes of disgust, with betrayal, hurt and pain. But something messed Peter up because when he looked at Jesus, I don't think he looked at somebody who was judging him and was disappointed in him. He looked at him with the pure eyes of love and it marked Peter. He denied him three times, but that look was the fourth dimension. 
That look was the depth of the love that God had for him. And we do the same thing. We think we've disappointed God. God God's disappointed. He's disgusted with us. But here today, God is looking at you with the eyes of love. He's saying, just come to me. All who are thirsty and drink deeply out of the well of my love. It's something you got to experience. And so I just want to pray for you. Worship team's just going to lead us in a song, and Pastor Josh will close us out. But I really believe that there's some in the room, maybe some online, that you're like, eh. Because you're like that, it's an indication that you've never experienced the depth of that love. And I want you to be able to experience that. You've got to. It, your life depends on it. So I just want you to close your eyes. I want you to put one hand on your heart and I want you to put the other one up to heaven. Jesus, right now, I pray for every single person. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would break down the walls rejection, break down the walls of shame. Some of you, the enemy has been holding a label over you that's been blocking the love of God. And I want to remind you today that, that the Bible says that my banner over you is love. My label over you is love. You're not bound by what other people have said, what have done. Some of you, you never experienced this kind of love because you've been broken, you've been hurt by people, you've been wounded by parents, by fathers, by mothers, by friends, by spouses. And because you've been so hurt, you've put up walls that have blocked the love of God. And today, I pray that every single wall be removed in Jesus' name by the power and the authority of the blood of Jesus, that it would open back up those wells and that that spring of life would come forth. I call it forth now in Jesus' name. Come, come out, come out, come alive in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Hope Church. If you enjoyed this message, you can easily support the ministry of Hope Church at hopechurchmt.com give. Also follow us on social media at hopechurchmt. Be blessed and have a great week.